0: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? A woohooer, a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...
2: welcome it's your managing madrid podcast for this weekend um this is gabe Leser. it's august 5th and i'm joined by kian sobani um hey kian
3: hello how are you doing
2: doing well doing well uh and by Arvin. om um thank you for writing this um awesome (laughs) immediate reaction to this uh juve game real madrid obviously uh, beat juventus three to one and uh uh international champions cup the prestigious international champions cup uh here in washington dc uh and yeah so um was this our first
3: preseason win ever
2: i don't remember winning a preseason game last season even yeah it's
1: it's been a long time since we've won a preseason game that's for sure
2: And as we all know, it's it is really important and meaningful when the team wins a preseason game. One should take oh. as much as possible from this.
1: Absolutely. There's so much to take away here. One, we're winning the treble. We're, we're winning absolutely everything now that we've won this game. Vinicius Jr.
2: is better than Mbappe. He's
1: better than Ronaldo. Come on, guys. Let's yeah, let's point. be bold here. <laughs> um Bale 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 is back. He's never gonna get injured ever again. Um you know Lopateggy is already better than Zidane. Oh I mean, yeah, for sure. It's just this is this is the this is the greatest moment of our period right now, beginning now. It's just gonna to be total and utter dominance.
3: But the real question <laughs> is where does Marcos Llorente stand in all this?
2: Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry,
3: uh, I'm sorry, Keon, but he's not part of it.
2: I'm, I'm glad that we're rage
3: quitting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You rage quitting the podcast like Messi quit the uh national team after they lost that penalty kick. Oh, that
1: was that was uncalled for, yep. That was uncalled for. <laughs> what did What did
2: Messi do to you of late? <laughs> I just still think it's funny that the that, that exact moment like I I watched that game and he just looked so bad and then like they lost the <laughs> penalty shootout and it was so fucking funny. Uh so <laughs> they just quit the national team in anger after losing the Copa America final to Chile on penalties. Uh all right, well let's I everyone can tell that we're really not in um full season form right now but we're we're <laughs> trying to get back. Uh <laughs> Madrid beat Juve obviously 3 to 1 goals from Carvajal and and Bropia, uh, from Bale and then two from Asensio uh who I think of all the players um really did seem to hit the ground running, uh, Marco. So uh, I don't know how much there is to take out of it. Obviously, you know, what you look for in these games is, like, how are the players combining with each other? Are they getting their match fitness? Um, How is, like, Lopetegui does seem to come out and, like, try to implement a tactical idea um, each each match, and sometimes mul- multiple times a match, and so it was kind of interesting to watch Madrid's tactics, at least in the way that you know the, the players are slowly and and but surely understanding the juego de posición stuff that that Lopetegui is trying to uh, trying to do. This was yeah. like
3: oh sorry, go ahead. Um.
1: <clears throat> I I was just going to talk about like the pressing was the most positive thing that that we saw there in terms of tactics because. In the first game, right, it took like 15 to 20 minutes to really get into the high-pressing game that lopetegi wants, which is understandable. We didn't look very fit. It was nice to see that this game, straight off the bat, it was high-pressing. We already looked way fitter than we did the last game, which was really nice to see. And it wasn't just the fitness. It was really organized, unusually organized for a preseason game. and. You know, I don't want to take away too much from Juventus' performance, but it is worth noting that they looked extremely uncomfortable. I think our pressing was at a level not usually expected at preseason because I think in a normal game, Juve deals with that a lot better. But they just looked terrible whenever we were pressing them because it was really compact. You know, the, the, the front three with the two central midfielders were moving in unison, and then the the fullbacks would bomb up whenever the ball moved wide. It was very nice to see. It didn't last into the second half that well, you know, which is expected. Again, it's preseason, but you could, you could again, you could see the fitness, you could see the mentality that's needed for pressing. Everyone was really aggressive. Everyone was moving in unison. So that was very promising to see, and it shouldn't be that surprising because under Zidane... We did have good moments of pressing. So it's obvious that this team understands like the, 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 the triggers, you know, how to move in unison, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, it, it's about applying the fundamental concepts on a consistent basis now, so it, it happens every game and we don't have these erratic performances and I think that will be emphasized under Lopetegui because it's needed under positional play, this rigorous application of of, of concepts for this entire system to work, so yeah, um, I expect to see this game, you know, every single game now because that's the
3: way that's the way he wants to play. Well, there's an, there's an urgency with it, like a preseason or not, because Lopetegui has to come in and kind of implement his ideas before the season starts, so that once the season starts you're hitting your stride. And I know like with preseason, we we take we only take so much away. And as we've noted before, we, we win a preseason game every 10 years. Um, and it doesn't matter because we win the Champions League. But um, I think to gradually ingrain these things into the habits of the, the collective habit, but also the individual habit of the players to press the way they did and be in the positions they're supposed to be, so that it comes second nature for them, there's an urgency to do that now and and try to ingrain mm-hmm. it in the team. I thought so. The, the first half, the you know, we we did a lot to even make Chesney uncomfortable, um, and there wasn't much offensive curation in the first half. And apart from you know, Bale would would get it, he would release it and immediately dart to a to a run, and either Cruz or Isco would try to hit him. And Cruz actually did hit him a couple times with a couple of really nice passes, or it was just the press winning possessions. And I remember on on one instance Sabios winning the ball and then getting fouled which would have led to a to a breakaway and it was it was Benatia by the way who was still has a ton of rage in his heart for us um, <laughs> I I think I think the second half the press was actually quite impressive as well cuz you you had a bunch of and it wasn't you know it wasn't right off the bat but like mm-hmm. towards that stretch where we were we were having like eight million counterattacks against Juve and it started to look like a carbon copy of the of the Champions League final twenty seventeen. there was Asensio, Vinicius, Odegaard, um Sabias was another one. we were pressing really well. And I think that um something happened in the background in my house. I don't know what it was, but um but that in itself was like really um impressive to me too. Like there was there was there was something there that I think everyone was on the same page about, and which was exciting.
1: Yeah. And yeah, and I think I think the way Lopetegui is going about implementing his tactical ideas is the right way. Because if you think if you look at our pressing as the strongest, what wasn't very strong was our passing. There, there were three or four moments where it did look quite good, where you know we we attract the attention of the defense, we'd attract the press on one side. You know, we try to probe. It wouldn't work. We'd circulate the ball backwards and then we'd quickly switch play and we'd have an outlet there. And we'd do that and you know, a, a couple of times in in, in in that preseason game, even the one before, and we'd work our way quickly into the box and we'd create a dangerous attack. Like that is classic positional play. But it, it wasn't happening regularly. And most of the time, you know, our our structure looked slightly off, like our players weren't getting into their correct positions fast enough you know the speed of thought you know was just half a second too slow and just in general the overall chemistry when we were when we were trying to build from the back was just a bit off and that's not that worrying to me this is a difficult system that takes a while most of the time to to get your players to understand but To me, this is even less worrying because what's always most important when you're implementing a tactical system is to get the defensive side of the game first because that is always the most important, especially when you have the offensive quality we do. It's nice to see that our pressing is there. So if we can get our defensive stuff figured out before the, the season begins, we can rely on individual quality to carry us for a bit before we get our offensive system in place. And so that way we're not leaking goals and we can, you know, we can edge out these wins, you know, one nil, two one, maybe two nil, um, because we have that individual quality, you know, rather than the opposite of us having our off- offensive system in place and these really shaky, like three two four three wins, maybe even a loss, where we can see it a lot. So I'm, I'm in, a, I'm pretty happy with the place we're in right now when it comes to our tactics. I think it's going ar- along quite well, slowly in some places, but I think. We're emphasizing the the right pieces right now,
2: and but did show some um, new offensive looks. I mean, we for I think for the first time um, uh, saw him with Real Madrid at least roll out that false nine when in the second half when Asensio basically played there, and I thought that looked really good too. I mean, his. That Asensio Vinicius combination leading up to the second goal or or for the uh, for the for the second goal was very brilliant, I thought. And Vinicius himself, like, seems to be adapting faster and and with uh, more poise than I expected, to be honest. And uh, it was that was a cool system watching Asensio play in, in, in that center. Like we we I mean, Keon, we had been talking previously about how that was first of all. That's one of the looks that Lovatagui likes to go with, and second of all, that Madrid actually does have a really a team that's really set to do something like that. Uh, and it was cool to, to cool to watch that kind of be executed on the pitch.
3: The Asensio false nine is. Um, I, I think if we don't bring anyone in, like buckle up. I think that's going to be something we'll see a lot of because that's that's yeah that's essentially our second option, if not first option, in, in many games. Um, you can't rely on Benzema every single game to do this. And look, I. I I personally think Asensio is built to play that role. I think he can do it. I think one of the reasons why, if there's no urgency, be it right or wrong, and whether we agree or not, is because, to, to sign a striker, is because Asensio, in Lopetegui's eyes, can play that role. And and it could be a combination of not necessarily not wanting a striker, but also like the ones you can get maybe don't provide that big of an upgrade in Lopetegui's eyes for the... The money you you would spend on them and whatever, um, but I think I think that him playing that second half was was just kind of, I don't know if it's a premonition, but it's something that I think he wants to try to to see more of and and figure it out how it's going to work because I think as the transfer window draws to a close, slowly but surely, I don't, I don't if the striker doesn't come in, we're going to see it, a lot of it.
2: Yeah. And by yeah, the way, I think
3: it's a good option. Like, I personally, I would, yeah. I would really consider him just being the starting false nine. I would. Over
1: it's, Benzema, it's, even. It's an interesting, it's an interesting um, option to have. Um, I need to see more of Asensio playing there in competitive games to really get a sense of whether I like it or not. Mainly because there's not a lot of false nines that exist in world football and have existed. So, it's... It's very difficult to, I think, like you can see a player and look at his qualities and be like, well, he'd be great on the left wing, but I think it's very hard for the false knight because it's sort of an ambiguous position. A lot of qualities you could kind of could kind of slot in there. There are players you think you could play there who couldn't. Um.
0: So
3: we also have, I think, a to- grand total of two game sample size of a yeah, playing as a false knight. So yeah, right. so.
1: So I think I I think there is promise. I think like as much as you can tell like what makes a false nine good. I think a has some raw qualities, but I would urge people to be, I I think cautiously optimistic is fair. Which I think I I think I don't think you you know Keon and Gabe are are being overly optimistic. I think you both know how to ground your expectations. I'm just speaking to the larger audience here, um, because He's it, already it is it is
3: messy. <laughs> it
1: is it is difficult if you think about the great false nines like there's Messi, um and then there's there's francesco toddy i mean, and there's there's not that many more um and it's it's hard to balance the act of being this extra link in midfield and still scoring a ton of goals because you still are the number nine yeah um, so it will be interesting to see how lopetegui makes that work um fingers crossed i mean i think asensio has some raw skills to make it happen but We'll see how it plays out. And we've
2: also seen Isco play in that role. I mean, I just I, I think that it's more that I'm excited about the idea because I think this 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 squad is actually kind of set up to do well with a false nine. Generally, not necessarily who it is exactly because we like I said we know that Isco can play the false nine. It appears that Asensio can play this position pretty well. I, you know, and Benzema basically already sort of plays like a false nine. So like. It's it's uh, it's just good to see that that he's he is running this formation and this tactical idea out, which is something that, you know, I think that for all the brilliance of Zidane, he didn't have that mu- that quite that ability to uh, experiment and have new tactical ideas. Uh, when, you know, he definitely did have different different looks that he played, but this is one that, one look that I wanted to see more of that we hadn't and we've been clamoring it for it for such a long time. And it's good to it's good that I think that Lobiteggi is, is, is trying it out and that it's giving pretty good results. I mean, obviously Isco isn't at his peak or even close to it. He looks quite gassed. I mean, he basically ran played the best of anyone on that Spain team for the most minutes. And, you know, it, I, I can totally get being gassed like going and having that type of world cup where you are basically trying to carry that team by yourself. And then, uh, and then just going on vacation and not really doing as much physical training so that when you get back, the first few games of course are going to be exhausting. Uh, but I think when he's back to kicking at full stride, he will be a great option for uh, as that kind of binding agent there um, and playing at that false nine. Occasionally I, Not just Asensio, basically.
3: Well, I think the two traits that Asensio has that I think will make him a good candidate in this role more than other people in the squad is that, one, he can finish. He's a good finisher. He can score goals. Um, You put him in enough chances and he's going to, I think, significantly upgrade his goal tally from last season in a more prominent role. And two, to me, the false nine just needs to be really intelligent off the ball in his movement. And... The limited sample size we had last season of both him and Isco in a free role, um, Asensio, to me looked like he was more efficient, just knowing where to be. I would also say that this, I don't like, I don't know if we can talk about this enough. To me, it's a bit under talked about. This entire season to me rests on Bale's health. Like if he's yeah. if he's not healthy for the significant more important stretches of the season. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, I think it, it really is on his shoulders because if he's part of the reason why you really, it's hard to bring in someone like Hazard because we can talk about Asensio's playing time. But Hazard, someone like Hazard would help a lot if Bale gets injured for a big stretch of the season. But if Bale stays healthy, I think it changes everything because he is de facto, like the only reliable game-in, game-out goal scorer we have in the entire squad. Entire squad, that's him. Yeah. And if, if anything happens to him, I'd, I'd start sweating.
2: And he is—he really is that game-breaking, game-changing talent. With just the the ability to strike the ball, his nose for goal, his—I mean—the physical, his, I mean, the physica- his phys- physicality. I mean, he is when he is healthy. The you know, definitely for me, a top five player in the world. And it's going to be important because th- those are the types of players that you need to lean on when things aren't really working out, or or you know, the tactical ideas aren't coming off as well. You know. You need those those uh, players like Bale to <laughs> step up and and put the team on their back, and we'll have to see if he's going to be able to do that. I think he will, uh, but it's it really is just going to come down, like you said, to health. And even in this game, we saw him. Uh, I mean, that was an incredible strike. It's preseason, who cares? But my oh my, was that a was that a good shot?
3: It was a great shot. I. I <laughs> The thing with Bale in the preseason to me has been that um, he's kind of looked like in fifth gear. Like, I think that was part of the reason why the second half to me was more exciting. And by the way, like, the game against Juve reminded me why I just, I don't find preseason that interesting. The first game I found really more fascinating because I was just, I think I was just deprived of Real Madrid and then you're like oh it's preseason it's really not that exciting maybe maybe, maybe it actually just really wasn't exciting and the first game was better but the, the <laughs> that's sec- what I think yeah the second half of um, but that was one of the reasons the second half was better because the the kids were hungry and they were in if you like I think Vinicius and, like these guys at least in terms of effort levels if not form were in first gear whereas Bale was just kind of feeling it out to me a bit casual and understandably so like he's just trying to go through the motions at this point of the season um, but like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about him at some point, but I think when you look at the gear that the kids were in, cause they had something to prove, I thought that was, that's the stuff that makes preseason really exciting. Um, Bale looks fine. I, you know, I don't think he's been great or bad. He's just kind of there doing, just trying to get into some kind of rhythm. All uh- right. I don't know if you want to. <laughs> drop I kind it. of ended that statement on like half. I just kind of ended it without really finishing a <laughs> yeah, sentence. So I, 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 left you, also, I left you guys uh, in limbo. So I just
2: leave it up to you guys to take over and pick up. These preseason podcast. you know, we really are just trying to get up to speed. You can't ask too much of us. Um, we, we're just trying to try new tactical ideas. And we're in fifth year. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> Every now and
3: then, Ohm takes a shot outside the box. It's brilliant.
2: Yeah. And then he gets rested for the second half of the podcast. Where are you, Omar? <laughs> I'm
1: here. I'm here. Um, Omar, you yeah,
2: I mean, the
3: guy with the most notes from this game, we need you to carry us. What? Tell do. us more about your immediate
2: reaction. <laughs> a moment. Okay, I mean, if you don't have anything much more to say about this game, we can go and... I mean, again, this. let's be clear. This is preseason, so it's not like we're... Um yeah, we, either of us he had took tons of notes or any notes in my case, but yeah. Uh,
1: it... I mean, I think we can point out I was just trying to like quickly run through like what I think we we can mention I think On or Reggie Lon is how you say his name. I think he played quite well from left back. Um this yeah. castilla player. Row. Yeah, second game in a row where he looked quite impressive again. I don't know how much to take away from it, but it, it was impressive to see the confidence he came out with you know I, I i hardly saw any mistakes from him he had a really nice moment um where he cut inside on his weaker foot and launched a goal launched a shot at goal yeah and forced chesney into a good save um you know that that was nice to see i mean i i i think this is just i think all the youngsters have shown us at least something except for um what was the name of the center back that's played now twice in a family sanchez and, yeah, I mean, he's looked a little out of his depth. Um, yeah, he know, looked a bit better there, last
3: game. Like, he, I thought, you know.
1: Yeah, it could, it could just be nerves. Um, and again, like, it's, it's it's hard. Like, I don't want to go out straight up and say this guy can't play for Real Madrid. But, you know, from what we've seen, he just, he, he struggled a little bit. But otherwise, I think all the other youngsters have looked quite confident. Um, you know, they, they've shown something that I'm sure, you know, is is, is is noting down. And even more so, probably what they show in training, yeah. um, you know. And I hope, I hope this helps them, you know, gain some confidence actually, before they go out on a loan or something. Speaking and,
2: and of the, speaking of these young ones, I actually wanted to bring one up, one piece of news up that I didn't, I realized we didn't talk about last time, Kian, which is that um, Lopetegi has named Albert Salades as the uh, uh, second coach. And Celades was the coach of the under twenty one Spanish team, yep. which means that he basically he actually has a, a a good relationship with a lot of these people already. And he, my my understanding is that he is a, quite a well liked coach in the Spanish kind of universe.
3: Yeah, I think, and I still to this day I'm a bit surprised that Spain didn't bring in Celades instead of Hierro when during that whole fiasco when they let Lopetegui go last second. Um, <clears throat> because he has a um, he has a clear at least coaching philosophy and identity, whereas Hiero just kind of went into it raw and was just there as a kind of a figure more than a coach, if you ask me. Um, yeah, which was kind of unfair to Hiero too. And you know, there's only so much he can do in that situation. I thought Saladas would have been a more logical choice. Um, I didn't expect him to come in as a second choice here, um, but I think as stylistically he fits. He does understand the juego de position, how it works. He has a connection with the younger players. He was the coach of the under 21 team with um Mayoral, Llorente, Odre Zola. there's um, Sabayos is another one. Asensio was even is, was also in that team. <clears throat> um Yeah, I, I it's I think it's he's actually quite a qualified assistant coach, to be honest. I this is this is kinda cool to have him around. Um, yeah. If you remember him as a player, quite an unremarkable player. He was. Yep. He was one of the few sh- in the short list of the history of football that played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. And when we signed him from Barça, it was just kind of like no one. I, I don't. No think one cared. Really I really cared. Like it was like okay. And he played. He played a few games. Like. Um. Not. But he's. I guess. Yeah. As a coach, he's been a bit better, and I think it's a. It's a good. It's cool to kind of bring him in. There's certainly nothing. I don't see any harm in it is a good connection No, no, no with the younger no.
2: players yeah well that's no, that's, that's not what if you were anything, saying anything i right think now. it's nice yeah. like it's yeah. i think it's a great addition uh personally because it, it, the, he and love have a good relationship very clearly they both have a very um similar and very clear style they both understand and implement the whole de Posición very well and Saladas especially has a and they both do have a very good relationship with this kind of young core spanish players and I think that if Madrid is going to do well this season, it really will come down a lot. In addition to like just Gareth Bale's body, uh, it's going to come down to how well these uh, these this core of Spanish kids evolve because they they really did invest a huge amount of the future of the team and just in 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 these players in this group of players being good and as good as everyone has said they are, and it's time for them to step up and you know this is their this is their season and and this is uh two coaches who are literally this is what they what they are brought in for is to make this um this group of players kind of realize their potential
3: yeah i have um <clears throat> I, have, I have a couple more notes from this game if you want um do it we did a little rapid fire at the last podcast with any leftover notes i had from these preseason games uh there's not many that we didn't already talk about that, but I will just say two things. Um, Javi Sanchez, which i briefly mentioned. I thought he had a, uh, a better game. He had like one really shocking giveaway in the second half where um Juve had a dangerous counterattack. but all in all, I think because he was on the same side as Carvajal in the first half in particular, he actually covered for Carvajal quite a bit and had successfully came over to that flank when Carvajal was caught out and, dispossessed the ball carrier um, whereas the first game he was really it must have been confidence because he had a good season with Castilla and Castilla's like one exciting thing about them just generally under Solari has been their defense has been actually good and Javi Sanchez looked out of it just in the first game not in sync with the rest of the defensive line like not offside traps and just giveaways defending set pieces he was better but this leads to Carvajal who is still like this this goes back to our one year anniversary this time last yeah. preseason where he just was not Carvajal anymore um, he stepped it up a few times in the Champions League I think and even his presence out of form is is still the best option at right back we have if you ask me because he brings a lot to the table um, he just I don't know what it is with him but he doesn't look um, he doesn't look confident his touch is a bit off Let's hope that none of this matters and that Audrey Zola might light a fire in him to, to pick That's it up. That's the hope. Yeah.
2: That's definitely the hope. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also mention that Valverde played, um, Fedi played uh, 90 minutes, which is cool. Yeah. Um, I think he is a really exciting, you know, long-term player for Madrid. And uh, I'm interested to see how you guys see this going for him because obviously his last loan spell really didn't work very well. No. He did not play very much, and and I'm not sure how much he's developed. So Madrid really need to figure out a better way to help him develop a little bit more. And if that's finding a better team to loan him to, then fine. Um, or if that's bringing him back to Castilla and like giving him more minutes, that's fine too. I mean, I'm but I'm interested in how the next step for him is. You think? Well, he can't
3: play in the team this season. It just that the, there's too many players in his position. He has to go on loan. He has to go somewhere. I'm not opposed to. A, uh, an option where you go a one year loan with with where the team has an option to renew his loan for a second year because i don't think it's that urgent to bring him in given Kovacic and Sabayos are still here i would say that he i think he looked good in this game against Juve and i thought like some of his the way he read some of the passing lanes is actually worked as a box to box midfielder he he can play that role I think maybe this performance against United was a bit overblown. I didn't think he looked that good, especially in the first half second half he looked better, but I think that was just understandable because his, he's just getting back into it. he's rusty he's his loan spell he didn't play Sadorf came in tried to play him, and then he got injured, which was a disaster. I think he no i think he needs and will go on loan this this summer or this this season I don't know where, but I'm assuming somewhere in La liga where he can play because there's just not. At this moment there's too many players in this position.
2: Yeah, but he is still quite young and has has that um, potential. I also um, I also thought Odegaard once again looked pretty good.
3: Yeah, I think so too. Odegaard looks to me like just fits. He looks confident, yeah, he looks really he, does. he's showing for the ball constantly. Um he does. I not, almost. Yeah. He
2: almost is ready. I think. He. I definitely think he deserves one more a year on loan in Spain. But he. He really does look ready. Uh, and like he belongs. You know.
3: Yeah, I don't think if, um, if you bring him off the bench in a game in La Liga this season, to me, I don't think he'd look out of place.
2: Yeah. 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 That's that's what I mean. So, I mean, yeah, obviously he's going to go out again, but I, I definitely think it's time for him to make the next step up from Heronveen, which is a good team, obviously, but you know, playing in the high high level in Spain is the next step for him, I think.
3: Yeah, and I think that's where he's going to end up. This I, I'd be really curious to know where he ends up, and for sure, wherever he goes, we're going to pencil that game in, in the calendar to watch him. Yeah,
2: yes, absolutely. Uh, that's And that's still true with a lot of these players. So... I uh, I think that's basically hits all of the notes that I wanted to hit in this – in this um, just talking about this game. Uh, I don't know if you guys want, but uh, we have a lot of questions, and I figure we just jump into those now. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, Jason Morel asks us, um, everyone is saying that Odriathola is a long-term successor to Carvajal, but I believe he's here to push him right now and fight for his spot immediately. Carvajal is just 26 years old and probably is another four to six years at a high level – uh, I really doubt Odriozola would want to sit behind him that long with no chance of supplanting him. Odriozola <coughs> was better than Carvajal last season, and with Danny's injury history, I believe we'll see Odriozola sooner rather than later. Am I wrong to believe this? No.
1: I mean, I think, I think that's pretty much spot on. Like, the I think the reason we got Odriozola was because we've realized that Carvajal doesn't play very well when he doesn't have competition. I mean the two seasons where he has not been particularly outstanding were 2014-15 and then the last season 2017-18 when he pretty much had no competition 14-15 it was an hour below that was way past his prime and 17-18 there was literally no right back behind him it was it was makeshift with Nacho um and and you had Ashraf who I mean he's extremely raw i mean very talented obviously but nowhere near the the, you know the level to compete with someone of Carvajal's caliber so Odria Zola has come in you know he he is a quality 1st team player he is close to the world-class level for a fullback so I mean he's coming here to fight for that place and and light a fire under Carvajal they the club was not gonna sign or or play another right back that simply never had a chance of fighting for Carvajal's place because that is neither good for the it's neither good for the club nor for nor for the player Carvajal. Yeah, yeah. So I think this 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 comment this question is pretty much spot on.
3: What would you say is Carvajal's best season ever?
1: Um best season 16-17.
3: Yeah, and that was following one of his worst seasons ever, 15-16.
1: Yeah. Uh, I thought fifteen sixteen was was actually pretty good. I think fourteen fifteen was, was the one bad. that was that was really bad. Yeah. Which
3: one was the one that he he wasn't great against you, babe, or two legs? That was fifteen sixteen. Two thousand
1: fourteen right? fifteen. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah because okay. twenty fifteen sixteen Danilo came in and everyone thought Danilo was going to replace yeah. him, and Carvajal even admitted later that he thought this was the end for him. So he like worked his ass off right. and played played like it was his last game every single time, and we were like, wow, this is. This is incredible because Danilo completely, I mean, he was a disappointment and Carvajal just completely turned his career around again. And so that was, and then it was disappointing in
3: 2017,
1: 18 to see him dip again. But I think we've identified a pattern now of of why that happened. Yeah. Well, that was my ultimate
3: point is that can Odriozola be the Danilo that lights a fire, but also be better than Danilo himself? Like that's where I see this signing as, as, as not only successful because Odriozola is good, but also because maybe this is what Carvajal needs. I'm also not sure if he's 100% healthy yet either. That's a thing. Like, I think he's playing through something.
2: Yeah, I do too. I'm just not sure. I don't know. Um, I, I really like Cotarillozol, though. So right now, Madrid has got two very high-level young right-backs that are going to be, um, that both play really well. Carvajal, like I think, has a slight edge in both attacking and, and defending, but that is subject to change easily. So, um, all right, Ian Marley asks us, uh, of all the strikers linked to Real Madrid, one who has not been mentioned is Aguero. What do you guys think of him and would he fit the system? I really like him and I think he'd be an excellent fit for La system.
3: I, I, <laughs> I honestly, like, I don't think Aguero's. Is- well, not in not this season anyways, his name certainly didn't come up and I think the reason is I think he's been he's actually still playing at high level. Like there were there was definitely a, a period of time where Guardiola was just obsessed with Gabriel Jesus and then Aguero didn't play, but when he came in and he started to actually play well. But the problem is I guess he's 30 and he himself has said that he is just going to see out the end of his contract with City. And I think I believe it goes to 2020, I think. Is at least, um, yeah. I, don't, know I, if I don't anything else to say about this,
2: yeah. I don't think he's on the market, I just don't think he wants to go. Um, so and I don't I think or why want to let him? So,
1: I mean, Aguero was arguably the best striker in the world last season if you're not counting Ronaldo and Messi as strikers. I mean, so yeah, I have no idea why City would let him go, his age is is not something that would be great for the long term and you know there's there's injury concerns so let's say he becomes available two seasons from now it would probably only be because his form has fallen off you know Gabriel Jesus has managed to replace him and you know or he has some kind of injury and I think at that point Aguero wouldn't look like such an appealing option um
2: there was a point
1: in time several seasons back where I badly badly wanted Aguero and it kind of looked like it was possible I think I I might be wrong this is a long time ago but I think even Aguero kind of talked about coming to Madrid and had me really excited you know I would I would definitely have taken him then I think it was after Higuain left and we only had Benzema as our striker and Aguero would have been amazing at the time but now it's it's just too late and you know there's, I don't think there's any way City or Pep Guardiola is going to let this guy go because he transformed himself last season into a truly all-round forward who could do absolutely everything. And so that was surprising for me to see the way he was able to transform himself so late in his career. But, you know, this guy is impressive, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon as long as he's still in his prime. Um,
2: Chris G. SSM. I live in the D.C. Maryland area. <clears throat> it was pretty cool to see Real Madrid live, but my question for you guys is: uh, Do you believe there's any chance Chelsea are doing what United did in 2015 with De Gea and dragging out the transfer with, of Courtois until the last second? Yeah, maybe. Right? Like, I, I mean, I don't. That De Gea thing didn't work because Real Madrid um, had the fax machine issue. But if if all the technology had worked, Madrid would have gotten to here anyway. So in the end of the day, like if that's what they're doing, fine. But the, if, I mean, every in every indication we've seen in every media, including today or yesterday with his agent literally saying you are keeping a man from staying with his family uh, in the media. I mean, it's hard to, for you to come back from having your agent say to your club, let this man be with his family. You know, <laughs> I, anyways, every indication we're seeing is that he is um, he is pushing to go in a way that we haven't seen many people push to go in a while. So i I still think this is a transfer that's quite likely.
3: Well, I think their their saving grace might be that Sari just really wants to keep him. Um, everything that Sari said publicly is that like we we really value Courtois. We it would it would not be good to lose him. I I don't know what happens. I agree that it's likely. Um, but I also just have no idea, and the the whole parallel with 2015, I think, I think probably only comes into play because they're both goalkeepers. Um, and I think the the De Gea thing, like we can talk about the last second fax machine and all that. I think it's, it's also possible that both clubs were kind of just waiting until the end to see if this there was there was a bit of like there was a sense of cold feet heading into it that you know maybe. Maybe this is a good idea, maybe this is not maybe this is the best price we can pay or get for him. maybe it's not. I don't know if courtois is necessarily in, in that situation, but um i I think we all agree that courtois at that price would actually be an interesting interesting get um maybe if you're not paying like you know in a, like a, tons and tons of money for him but at the price that Real Madrid can get him, I think it's an interesting choice even despite courtois not having his best year. It'd be interesting to see how the saga goes on, but I, it's possible that I think Sari can still twist his arm. Like, it's just one of those things that you just don't know. It's possible that it'll drag, though. I don't know. Um, all
2: right, this seems like a good time to mention this, but uh, when this pod, when the show starts ramping up um, during the year, we uh, uh, we like you said, if, if we, if you toss us $5 a month, we'll answer your, que- or uh, we'll answer your question, um, and each show. Uh, but the way that that works is that we're going to answer one question per person on the show. So we guarantee that we'll answer one of your questions. And if you, uh, but if you want to ask like three or four, just tell us, you know, and you care a lot about which one gets answered, make sure you mention that in the question itself. Um, So because generally uh, uh, these we can end up with five, six, seven pages of questions. So we need to figure out, um, you know, we we do do a little bit of uh, of culling. We we promise that we're going to answer a question from each of you per pod. It's just that sometimes we get people who ask like seven, six, seven questions. (laughs) While we love that, um, we do. We can't just give. 20 minutes of a show, uh, because you answered, ask six, seven questions. We, we try to answer your question. Um, and we will do, we do reserve the right to do a little bit of chopping and editing, um, to make sure that we give you the best possible answer, um, to the most interesting question. Uh, so just, just saying that now because I'm about to say Sajid Reyes has a few questions for us. So, um, the, uh, I'm just gonna, we I guess we're going to try to go through these. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. Um, If you were Florentino Perez and you um, heard firsthand the ludicrous offer that Inter have supposedly made for Modric, which is apparently a 15 million euro loan for this season and a 25 million euro uh, uh, option to purchase in 2019, how would you react if the objective is to reject the offer and humiliate them at the same time? I would do what Florentino Perez did, actually. I would just say his clause is 750 million and then... Not answer any more questions. Yeah, I
1: would I would not even entertain it further because I think to entertain it further would be to to entertain it as something serious, as something that you see as a threat. I would just shrug it off. I think that's the most humiliating way you could treat it. Not not that I think Florentino's trying to be humiliating, but I think that could have the best effect um that Sajid is going for while while keeping it classy and while, you know, just just not entertaining it as something serious because to brush off an offer from a club like it doesn't exist, you know that that can be pretty insulting. Especially because Inter Milan still, you know, there's still a pretty big club. Historically, they've had their moments in Italy. There, you know, they've been a serious force of late. So I, like Gabe said, that's that's just the best way to deal with it.
2: Yeah. Um, the second one is ever since the Ronaldo transfer. Why are the Italians and the Italian media behaving like a bunch of fools who just come out of prison after twenty years and haven't got laid? <laughs> uh, especially with the Modric stories. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't really know what this is. I. I, I think there is just um, a general um, feeling in Italy that they want their teams to get back to being. Um, considered among the elite in Europe and it's been a long time since other than any team other than Juve has really um I think been counted among the elite and I think especially the Milan clubs are both um feeling like they've come a long way since their glory days and want to get back up especially I mean like uh AC Milan is is clearly out to out to change things up a little bit I mean they just did some really great business with Higuain and Caldera and I think they um, are in a better financial position now after after the sale from their truly shady <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> owner guy. Uh, and then you are Inter is, is basically the same the same thing. I mean, they fended off obviously a bid from Madrid for um, um what's his name the the striker, um, and now they're trying to again also be one of the teams that kind of fights back into the top end of the of the, of the spectrum. And then like Napoli brought in Ancelotti, which is uh, a crazy and amazing um, uh, play, I think. So um, I think the Italian teams are, are are trying their best to get back. And that's why we're hearing so much about them because this is really, they feel like they've been out of the, out of the game for such a long time. What are you doing <laughs> at home? No, no. I that's don't know. Not I don't know what home is doing,
3: uh, but I, I, I also don't necessarily know or understand the context of what this question is about. Um, it seems some of the wording is a bit aggressive. Bro, I was laughing so fucking hard throughout the thing.
1: <laughs> i fucking tell you the way this question was phrased, man. Do I have to do editing
3: now, man? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, go on, Keon, go on. Almost have, all I, can, I thought I was having a seizure for a second. <laughs> I don't, I don't like, man, I hate editing, damn it. Uh, no, but, I just say keep
2: it in, man, I'll whatever. Keep it in, man, keep
3: it in. As I was saying, um, I thought the wording was a bit harsh and aggressive. Um, I, I would say that I think, you know, it's just speaking to Adam Digby, um, friend of the show who's been on UVA Journalist. This is a big deal for Juve getting Ronaldo. Like it was a huge deal. Forget that it's Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest player of all, of all time, arguably the greatest player of all time. Uh, you know, as he said, Juve have never ever signed the best player in the world in a transfer window. So this was a huge deal for not only them but also Italian football. Um so I don't know entirely the context of the question, uh, you know, the wording of the question who is kind of being a quote-unquote fool or idiot or whatever um, because they're excited about these signings. But, you know, it's a huge deal for them to be quote-unquote back on top or at least to a level where they're attracting players of this magnitude.
2: Yeah. Our last one from Sajid is uh, uh, what the fuck is happening with PSG and FFP? <laughs> Sajid, are you, I'm, I hope you're all right, man. This is... Um, this, PSG, uh, remember that I mean, I have an article actually coming out about this, but PSG—they have a lot of their owners are really, really rich. Remember that. So there, there are ways to game, play games with FFP. We'll see if they how that's exactly gone. But um, you know, FFP wasn't designed to prevent clubs from spending money if they have money. It was designed to make sure that clubs don't spend money they don't have if that makes sense. So PSG has a lot of money and they're throwing it around. And, you know, they threw a lot of it around last year. They're throwing a lot of it around this year. And I don't know. We'll have to see how, whether that even works out for them. It didn't work out for them last year, really. And I mean, if they go and get Kante and Boateng and and whatnot, they will have a really, really good team.
3: (laughs) The Boateng Uh, thing is entirely bizarre, by the way, because it's it's about his ties with Jay-Z because... He's one of the footballers who signed with Jay Z's um, sports agency. Really? <laughs> yeah, and so Rumeneggi and, and the entire Bayern front office are just absolutely fed up with Boateng's like regular trips to New York to see Jay Z and and hang out with him, and they feel like he's been distracted. So and it's, it's it's kind of and it's a very bizarre situation. I'm sure PSG won't care about any of that stuff. They just want to sign him. I mean, he's he's a. If I were Bayern, I'd just I. I don't know if it's an overreaction, but Boateng is to me still one of the best defenders in the world. So I don't. It seems kind of weird to, to use this as a reason to offload him. Um,
2: yeah, it does feel a little bit like Bayern is um, staying put when maybe they should be playing a little bit more aggressive defense. But
1: yeah, Ru I mean, I don't know. If I get too much into this, but after the kind of like Ozil comments and stuff, this guy has his own idea of what a moral code should be um you know i'm talking about rumenaga here not yeah. not bullet um so i mean you know he 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 sees this in his own way so i i, I don't necessarily see how this is particularly a problem since i think bulletin has been a class center back you know on the pitch for, for several seasons now but you know this is I think there is more going on here than just simple like, you know, this is this is affecting his performances on the pitch. Yeah, I, don't I agree. Necessarily think it is. But uh, that's that is a different topic entirely.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Carlos Salinas asked, um, I really like Leonin uh, The little we've seen of him. How often do you think he'll play with the first team more than Casilla?"
3: It I all don't. depends on what happens in the transfer window. Does yeah. Courtois come? Does he not? Um, I if if there if this is the roster and this is what we're going to the season like today, this and there was no other additions. I'd prefer Lunin to get oh, in yeah. over Casilla oh. as a second I, choice.
1: I mean, I think I think so, but I think I think what's going to mm-hmm. happen is that Lunin is going to. I think Casilla is going to be the backup, and I'm not wrong. Lunin is the one who's going to be the Castilla number one, right?
3: I don't know I, if there's any definitive thing either way. Um, I
2: am, I am of the belief that Courtois will come in and Navas will he and Navas will kind of battle for the first place and then you know do some rotation between those two. I, I if that signing happens then Lunin will go on loan I think and Casilla probably has his days numbered with Real Madrid which is fine by me. I don't I don't have any personal animosity toward Casilla. I just don't think he's good enough to play for this team.
1: I mean, he's average. I mean, I ain't nothing wrong with that, but he's average. It's, that's just how it is. Yeah.
2: Um, but if Courtois doesn't come, I think it could very well just we'll just have the same goalkeeper situation as last year where Castilla is playing second and Kaler is starting, and that's sort of where we are. I think
3: that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, well, I think, <clears throat> not that I knew anything about Lunen before we signed him, but now that I know him, I think he's overqualified for Castilla, if I'm being honest.
2: Yeah, he might go on loan still.
3: Probably. Probably.
2: Um, ESA Hariri says, uh, I have a question for you guys. How can a player be so professional that he can silence his emotions and support a club he loved since he was a kid and join the rival club and give his best there? Um, For example, Modric was a Barca fan but ended up in Real Madrid and gave his best there. Other examples include Coutinho, Isco, and believe it or not, Niesta. Um, I think it's because you're a professional and you just, you well, know, this is your job. You do your job. Yeah, so. I
1: I think that, weirdly enough, like, I've thought about this a lot, even though I absolutely have, have never had a fucking chance to, you know, even a little chance in, like, .001% to ever become a professional football player. But, like, I thought about, you know, that's, like, that's been, I'm, I'm sure that's every single one of us here have have dreamed of that at some point, especially when you were in high school. You know, just out of nowhere, a scout comes and says, "You know what? You want to play for my club?" And you know, I've, I've thought about this extensively. What if Barcelona came and said the same to me? Would I say yes? What is my duty as a fan? Um, you know, I I'm not sure I answered that definitively, but I've tried to put myself in in the shoes of other players. And and when you become a professional football player, the first thing you have to understand is that you're no longer a fan. And that you have to take care of yourself. This is a... As fans, we forget that this is a game of slim margins and that a lot of the chances these players get is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's never going to come again. If Barcelona comes to you and says, we want you to come play for the academy, you cannot turn that down because you cannot bet that Real Madrid is going to come, you know, a week later and say, hey, you want to join us? Like, this is your one chance and you have to take it. And... I mean that that's what you, it, because it will playing for Barcelona, you know, will help you, will help your professional career whether you're playing with the academy or whether you're playing with your first team. It's not something that's going to come against so you. Have to say yes, and again, I think as fans that's sometimes difficult to understand. But once you put yourself in the mindset of a professional, it becomes a fairly easy decision because you you gotta play for yourself. You gotta enhance your own career if you want to become a great. You got to make decisions like these. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's very tough for people like, you know, Isco, Coutinho, Modric, because, because they, they know what they're here for. And it, it's for them to be the best professional they can be. And that means signing for, for the best teams that are available out there.
3: Think also about,
2: I would fucking do it. Absolutely. For whatever, <laughs> for, I know, wow. like whatever, I would 100%. If someone, if some, like, are you kidding? Like, they were like, the only people offering you a chance to like, of course, follow your dream and be a footballer, and yeah, so what? You just put it aside and you know, shoot your shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about also
3: what some of these players go through as kids. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like Modric is as, as the guy who literally they were finding shelter in abandoned buildings and and hearing grenades go off outside. So when you come from all, especially from a childhood like that. I don't care who's paying you. Like it's you. You take it. You sort out your entire family. Like that's it. Um, this is also why I I I kind of find it hard that people criticize so much when these players like Paulinho or whoever um, just go to China and and get a bunch of money. Like you have no get idea what money. a lot of these players go through as kids. And you th- if you think that playing for your rival, you know, me like we I, it's 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 a yeah. no brainer to me. You know
1: that's a really good point because the way i was coming at it was like it was from a privileged position the way i was tackling the problem most i, I don't know if i say most but a ton of these players like you said like when you wrote that article about casemiro they come from utter poverty yeah. and so they they don't even have the luxury of thinking about it the way i was saying i i would think about it you know where your club loyalties lie it's this is my one chance and my dream to put food on the table every single day, you know, and make sure my parents live comfortably for the rest of their lives. And when you put it that way, like, Mm -hmm. I I think the way you said it, Keon, was was, was perfect because when you put it that way, like, it it is no debate. Like, there's no question. You just take it immediately. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's more to say after that because I think that was the perfect way to
2: say it. Uh, Last question, um, Essa, or sorry, Thomas Berg asks us, um, not last question, there are more. Um,
3: <laughs> it's like
2: the
3: third or fourth <laughs>
2: last question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question uh, on the page you're reading. Yeah, last question on the page <laughs> I'm reading. Thomas Berg asks us, uh, in an uh, article or po- post-GV pod, please go through the different tactical formations following the subs. Uh, for Madrid. I assume not uv <laughs> From what I saw, it was a four, two, three, one um interchangeable in three behind with Benz over the top, and then a change to some sort of four through three with a false nine. Um and now in the end, I don't know with what Lucas and Myral as forward with as center mid and Yorente is center back in a four-four-two. Um so basically Ohm, he wants I think that the question is what what were what were the formations that what were the kind of tactical formations that Lopetegui was trying out in this game.
1: I mean, I think he's pretty much I I think he's pretty much correct um in that well, definitely the first half was it was a 4-3-3 for sure. It was a 4-3-3 in the first half because it was Ben's up top Bill on the right um well, was it Vinicius who started? Uh, no, it was Isco. We had, sorry,
3: we, had, we also had Ceballos, like the spearhead. Right, yeah, it was Isco. Almost.
1: Sorry, yeah. it was Isco on the left. It was Ceballos and Fede as the two interiors and Kroos as the anchor in the three-man midfield as a defensive midfielder. So it was definitely a 4-3-3. And then in the second half, you had Asensio come on from, for Benzema. Um, you had Vinicius come on for Isco. And I think it was Odegaard who came on for Bale, if I'm not wrong. So it was still a 4-3-3. Um, and then after that, when, you know, all and Lucas came on, I, I think throughout the entire game, we were just seeing different players all in the same 4-3-3, if I'm not wrong.
2: Yeah, no, I
3: don't have anything to add to this.
2: That's what I thought also. Yeah. Um, okay, Christian Gonzalez asked, um, I'd like to know how confident you, Kian, are of having Llorente be part of a starting 11 in a match where everyone else is a starter just filling in for Casemiro this is of course in an important La Liga match
3: I feel fine I feel more than comfortable with it
2: I also feel comfortable I, with I, it. I have
3: no doubt in Yorante's ability even in a big game like I think he's fine I it's, I think the way Lopetegui will use the midfield this year I think will give a lot of confidence to both Yorante and the where you have Six midfielders for three positions. You have Yoriente behind Casemiro, Kovacic behind Modric or Cruz, and Ceballos behind Modric or Cruz. And I think um, I, I I would be more than confident in Yoriente reading the game from that position and and just distributing the ball quickly. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. And I know I know Christian's not asking me, but I'm, I'm going to say <clears throat> something. Then, then don't, don't don't give your opinion if he's not asking. Me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just wanted to supplement with Keanu. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Then go ahead because. Because Zidane didn't necessarily use Llorente to his strengths. The way Zidane likes to use his defensive midfielders was quite unique to his system. Wasn't very involved in possession. You know, was kind of shoved out of the way a little bit. Played higher up the pitch, in between the lines sometimes. And then used as this kind of roaming destroyer. When the ball was lost, and that's not that's not who Llorente is at all. The way Lopetegui plays is something that is a hell of a lot more suited to to the kind of player that Llorente is. More of a deep line playmaker, a lot more involved in distribution of the ball, you know, and a little more static with his positioning. Defense you're going to see this season is going to be a lot more about the collective and a lot more about structure than Casemiro. Or, or or whoever's playing defensive midfielder single-handedly saving the entire team, you know, with these incredible defensive uh, bursts. I mean, I'm sure we'll still see that at times because the structure won't always be perfect. It'll break down and we're going to need our defensive midfielder to step up with these incredible interceptions and tackles. But it's going to be much more about structure and much more about positioning within that structure. Yeah. And I think Casemiro is still going to thrive in that defensive setup, but... Llorente's strengths are now going to come to the yeah. fore, and he's going to look a lot better here. He's built um, for it, yeah. Because yeah. because that's kind of how he played with with Alaves. Not on the offensive end, but on the defensive end. That's why his numbers were so impressive, and he looked so impressive because he played in in a defensive system that was much more about the collective, where it wasn't all on him, and it was his intelligent defensive positioning that allowed him to to rack up those numbers. And I think we're going to see the same thing here.
3: <clears throat> and this was an, also an Alaves team that really just barely had possession of the ball. And they relied a lot on the counterattacks. And Llorente, imagine a team that just doesn't have possession um, and gets pressed a lot because of the nature of how deep they played. He was in all kinds of positions where he was always pressed and he would always feel comfortable and confident getting out of it with a, either a touch or a quick outlet. And like, he's the type of player who will just get the ball to point A to point B as quick as possible. And I think um, his press resistance really helps in the situation, especially if Lopetegui wants his anchor to play deeper and drop in behind and in, in between the center backs when needed. And um, And one of the his greatest assets to me is also being very good in starting counters like he's never going to be the one who's going to provide a key pass but he is going to be one who will distribute from from the back as one of and and not to not to compare him in terms of uh i guess your greatness levels but stylistically to me he's still very similar to busquets in that he reads the game and i think he can get to a point where the opposing teams will start to realize that they have to take him out of the game just to prevent any buildup and to stifle Realms' attacks. I think he has a potential.
2: I agree. I, I mean, I don't have anything else to add. This is, uh, you know, a good question, I think, because, but I also think that finally um, he's going to be, you know, coached by someone who understands what he can bring in a better way than I think Zidane did. He kept playing him out of position a little bit. So, I'm hopeful um, alright and last uh, guaranteed question we have here is Adrian Rios um, asks <laughs> what is up with Lopete- what's up with What's up with Lopetegui he deleted his Instagram and Twitter I only find it strange <laughs> because he was very active on social media then all of a sudden he deleted it does it feel like Real Madrid is trying to be overly cautious with him
1: Oh, it's, it has nothing to do with Real Madrid, Huge. I'm sure. I think it has everything to Lopetegi realizing exactly what this fan base is like. Yes. And being yeah. like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with any of that shit and out the window. I'm surprised I, I, he even uh, kept it for that yeah, long. Me too. Yeah, because all it's going to fucking take, I'm sure in preseason when we lost, he was already getting these comments. All it's going to take is like a loss in La Liga. And the last thing he needs is Omar Vind, fucking messaging being like what the fuck are these tactics man the structure here was off you need to do this <laughs> this and this i'm sure he's like yeah i don't need that
2: um yeah or like that isn't even the craziest shit that he probably gets like oh yeah that 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 would
1: that that's would useful be
2: that's nice and useful
1: <laughs> yeah the uh the um go kill yourself type Correct. comments that we've seen on other players posts are, are probably something he doesn't need to handle and i think Honestly, if I was a player or a coach, I would delete my social media as well. I mean, I understand that some players need it because they become you know huge marketing
2: icons like Ronaldo, so that's not an option for them. But that's that's not the case. You can case. make a lot of money on sponsored posts. Yeah, I would I would keep them, um, but I'd also not ever do it myself. I would literally yeah. never check it and hire someone to do it.
1: Yeah, but that's not the case with coaches, right? They're rarely ever marketing icons and stuff like that. They make their money from either writing books or fa- mostly overwhelmingly from the salary they get from the club. So their their social media is not nearly the same asset it is as it is for players. So he really has no reason to keep it other than interacting with people online. And that that that's not really much of a motivation when you're at a club. Where the, the fan base is so demanding and, you know, frankly, vicious at times, it's not a surprise at all to yeah. be the game deleted.
2: All right. Last two. I wanted, to, I wanted to get your thoughts. First of all, we do, and, and the last one is just uh, kind of housekeeping, but um, you guys both play FIFA. Um, and so this is a question Did you guys see the FIFA Raul icon card? And how excited are you to use it? Uh, do you think the stats are accurate?
3: So, I play FIFA. Um, I, I generally just, um, in, my, in my spare time, I just, um, I essentially roast people on FIFA and just annihilate them. I've never played Ultimate Team. Um, so, I don't even know. I think the icon card is, has to do with the FIFA Ultimate Team. I don't, I've never done it. But I was looking at his stats. Um, I'll just, I'll just read them off to you guys. 88... For pace, ninety-two for shooting, eighty-two for passing, ninety for dribbling, forty seven for defending, seventy-five for physicality, and ninety-two overall. I think the pace is generous, but at the same time, I think when you're creating a FIFA player, if he's not fast, he's not gonna be good. So I think it would be awkward to put slow Raul in the game. That's why, because then he just wouldn't be good. (laughs) Um I I dunno I I think everything else is kind of good defensively. Like I'm not sure what defense really means in the context of FIFA. Like what attributes specifically? But he was very intelligent off the ball in his pressing and stuff. So um, I don't have much to add. I don't, I I don't even use what was his overall 92, 92. Yeah, I mean I think he's he could probably be a really good finisher in this game. He'd score a bunch of goals.
1: yeah i mean i don't have much to add because i don't have um a console beyond the xbox 360 so the last fifa game i could play was fifa 17 um so yeah i i I don't play ultimate team either so yeah i'm gonna have
3: maybe i'll have to start now now that i know this is an option ultimate team will fucking suck your life away dude okay then i won't get into it (laughs) I played I, Fortnite, yeah. like, for one night, and that was it. I just, uh, this like, this is...
2: <laughs> I, I gave... I, I've given up on video games, unfortunately. I wish I should... I should no, it's fortunately.
3: Movies. Thank God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, last just piece of housekeeping, just in reference to Elian Zacco's question about um, the uh, fan stories. Like, I, I think everyone remembers that we did that giveaway of the Gareth Bale-signed jersey. Um. And, uh, we read some of our favorites that, that was sort of what we, um, that was sort of, we figured that was sort of the end of that. Um, we, if you, uh, assuming that we get, you know, maybe we'll get another one of these giveaways again, we can, um, uh, we could do something like that, So, uh, and we'll read more fan stories, um, and occasionally, I think yeah, it, it might be cool just to, when we don't have as much things to say, we'll read some stories that we like, but yeah. for now, we're not going to just go in through and, and take an entire episode of the show to just read all of the submissions we got, because there were quite a few, Um but we we really appreciate everyone's stories, and it was really cool to read them. And that was a great show. and We got yeah, to, to it was go through. really fun.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, all the stories were great. And uh, I, so that episode, we went in, we read. I think the, the best, not not best, but it was think the the highest ranked in terms of the most likes per post. We read like the most popular out loud, and it brought back a ton of memories, like just to our own stories. And it was cool listening to your stories. Um, it was a ton of fun.
2: It was great. Yeah.
3: Um, we should do patron shout shoutouts. Let's do it. Patreon.com/slash/managingMadrid is where you to go. Where you go to get different rewards and get access to uh, more shows. Apart from the weekly Sunday episodes, and we have a lot of content coming up your way this season. Uh, I think at least two, possibly three extra shows per week. We'll see. Um, shout out to these specific patrons who pledge ten dollars or more, and your reward is you get a shout out on the podcast. Nick De Sergio Monleon. Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Gary Kohat, uh, Raghav Potluri, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berthy, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Selvin Adolfo, Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Sheikh Atiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavrnakis, Armin Gashi, Eric Rogers, Nick Ribeiro, Yahya Ibrahim, Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackbrook, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obade and Daniel Smith. Woo! Gets longer every week. I love it. You guys it's are amazing. Really great. Thank, you you so are cool. well,
2: thank you so much. Thank you so much. all right, until Wednesday then, Kian uh, and OM Al-Madrid. Al-Madrid. madrid ala madri.
0: One offer per account. Offer subject to change. 12 dollars per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sports Social Podcast Network